This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show. I'm Graham, speaking to you live from Mexico City. Joining me today is Anna Piresh, an English teacher, language educator based in Portugal. Anna is a teacher, teacher trainer, and materials writer who is about to move from full-time employment to become a freelancer. We'll be talking about her career and how she feels about this move. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in. Talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. On today's show, I'll be talking, as I said, to Anna Piresh, who is an English language teacher, teacher educator, and course book writer. Anna is someone who has been in my orbit for some time, but we've never actually met. We've been following each other on social media for years and have a shared love of music, and I thought it was about time we spoke, and so invited her to be on the show. Turns out... This particular time is a very important one for Anna. After 25 years working for the same school as a teacher, trainer, and assistant director of studies, she's about to make the move to become a full-time freelance consultant. Anna has been writing materials and course books for some time now, but has always combined it with teaching in the school where she works in Braga, Portugal. Now, after finding it difficult to combine the two, she's decided to take the plunge and fully committing to, to fully commit herself to becoming or to being a freelancer. I'll be talking uh, to Anna about this and about how she became a teacher and how her career path developed and much more all after the Teachers Talk radio news. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. 
The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male class teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Askell Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike, and a spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. North East Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than 3 in 10 pupils across the North East are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the South East and 19.4% in the East of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literature survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing, Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, 
Over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardized slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil objected to in your school. Does this need to change or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and thank you, Anna Puresh, for joining me today. Um, how are you today, Anna? I'm great. Thank you so much for uh, the invitation. I'm so honored to be here um, speaking with you. And um, yeah, doing good. Thank you. The, the honor is all mine, believe me. And uh, so I'd, I'd love to know, Anna, um, a little bit more about you and your reasons for becoming a teacher. I think it's it's really interesting to hear from people about how they got involved in education. So what was it what was it in your case? Well, I have to be honest. Um, I never planned to become a teacher. That wasn't I can't say it was my dream. <laughs> it was probably um, when I was younger, the last thing on my list. Um, my passion, um, as you probably know, was always music. So um, when I was younger, I always thought I was going to be a rock star, even though oh, wow. <laughs> I can't sing. <laughs> um, who who were your who were your heroes as far as rock or music's concerned? Um, definitely Bruce Springsteen. I'm a huge fan of uh, the band. I don't know if people <laughs> are familiar yeah. with the band, but I'm a huge um, fan and. And yeah, definitely Bruce Springsteen, and but also not rock, but Johnny Mitchell, Neil Young, mm. um, yeah, all these different Dolly Parton. I mean, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music. I like the Arcade Fire. Um, there's so many different. Um, so I detect a lot of Canadians in that list. There are a lot of Canadians, the <laughs> new pornographers. A, um, is there a, is there a reason for that? 
Um, it's not because they're Canadian. It's just that we have really good bands. We've got really good singers and people are not even aware that they're Canadian. You know, they just assume they're they're American. But we've got great music and also great uh, country music, which I love country music. I actually just on a side note here, I grew up in a bar. Uh, my oh, family, really? yeah, my family owned a hotel with a bar and they had live music because bars in Canada have live music because it's an interesting thing. Um, uh, if you have a live Canadian bands playing, your liquor license is cheaper. <laughs> um, okay. Which I think is brilliant because it's a way of showcasing um, Canadian artists you know that's and, wonderful uh, wonderful idea i think it's brilliant um and that leads to other opportunities for these bands and singers yeah i actually got to know one of my good friends um used to play with uh, shania twain you know oh wow wonderful. that's my little connection with fame <laughs> the Fantastic. music world and did you did you do much if any singing or playing an instrument etc when you were growing up <laughs> I sang in the choir at church, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was a rock star at church. Oh, um, wonderful! And uh, <laughs> and then, how did you then? What made it? What made you move into education? Then was yeah, it there's the, quite a leap there, isn't it? Yeah, there? <laughs> from rock star at church to teacher. Um, actually, in between, there was theater. That's my greatest passion. Um, so I was part of the drama club. Um, I did acting, um, but it wasn't just um, acting. I loved everything behind the scenes, behind the curtains, uh, skip, uh, script writing, um, adapt adaptations. Um, I loved all sorts of uh, genres. I loved comedy. That was a big thing for me. Mm. Um, not that I'm funny, <laughs> um, but I, I loved comedy. And I, I always imagined my life um, in theater, that's right. what I thought I'd be doing in the future. Um, but I am the daughter of Portuguese people who immigrated, Portuguese parents who immigrated to Canada to flee poverty, extreme mm. poverty and a dictatorship. Right. Um, so you grew, so up, my parents, you grew sorry, up in yeah. Canada then? In, I grew up in Canada, yeah, in Toronto. In Toronto. As we say, okay. Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. And um, and I grew up in the Portuguese community, which was kind mm. of like a, a bubble. Um, you know, it's uh, very closed. Well, you know, the immigrant communities, uh, we had Portuguese community, Italian community, Greek community. Um, and it was interesting because... Um, when the revolution took place in Portugal and we became a democracy, mm. nobody was aware in the Portuguese community in Canada that we were a democracy and things continued wow. kind of like uh, like in the times of the dictatorship, very conservative community. Um, but my parents, yeah, um, they're much more, I don't know now, but they were much, much more conservative um, than Portuguese people here, actually. Um, but my parents were obsessed with education and that's one of the main reasons that they immigrated to Canada, um, to be able to give their children, in this case, their only daughter, mm -hmm. um, chances, um, opportunities for 
good education. Uh, my mother um, was a cleaner mm-hmm. and she just completed third grade. That was her education. My father, um, he had dreams of studying. My father dreamed of going to university, becoming a teacher. Oh, wow. Um, but he didn't have that opportunity. So he joined mm-hmm. them. Uh, he was in the military just um, in order to complete the sixth grade. Can you imagine just going wow. going to the military just to get um, a bit more education, um, which is not a lot, the sixth grade, but that meant a lot to my father. Mm. So education was always a big topic at home. Um, for my parents, uh, the pillars of society was education and health. Um, and they were really involved in my own education, although they didn't speak uh, English at all. Right. Um, but they were always in school. Um, they always took part in events. They got to know my teachers. I mean, my school was in the Portuguese community. So there were people in the school that did speak uh, Portuguese. So it's like a bilingual school then. Um, Well, actually, well, no, it was, it followed the Canadian system. It was a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, that was a challenge for me. Um, But because most of the students were Portuguese, came from a Portuguese background, they hired teachers uh, that were second generation um, so that they would be able to communicate with parents. And also there were a lot of students who came to Portugal. They had um, ESL, you know, um, right. they were learning English. So um, so do you remember when you were at school being in that sort of bilingual environment? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, what was interesting was, the community I lived in was mostly uh, Azorians from the Azores. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few people from the continent. Right. Um, I actually always thought that Portugal was the Azores <laughs> <laughs> and the continent was an island, um, just <laughs> a tiny place in Portugal. And a lot of them, they dropped out of school um, because the idea was to get into the workforce Um, and um, they mostly spoke English at home, which was quite interesting. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, Um, but my parents were really big on Portuguese only at home. As soon as I walked in the door, I can only speak Portuguese. And And I was also. That's mm. because they, they didn't speak English or just because they thought they they really wanted you to be able to, to not lose that ability. Uh, my dad, who was a big influence on my education, my dad wanted me to be aware of my roots. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for him, I was Portuguese first, Canadian second. And so he made such a big deal of being of me being in touch with my roots, so much that he enrolled me in Portuguese school. But it's not like language schools um I actually followed the Portuguese curriculum. I did Portuguese exams. So every day I had normal classes at Canadian school. And then I went to Portuguese school two hours a day. So So you had two lots of of schooling, basically. 
I did both schools, yeah, and it so was it's not, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising you end up, ended up being a teacher, having that much exposure to education, I suppose. Yeah, and because my dad, you know, wanted to be a teacher, uh, I'm so not I bet, a teacher I bet for he was, him. He was very proud. Of, he was very proud of you when you became a teacher. Yeah, he was very, very proud, and he was just proud of my own education, you know, mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. Um, just completing university was such a big deal. You know, I was um, the first person in his family to get a university degree, um, which is quite something, you know, back then, course, poverty, yeah. um, dictatorship, having no access to education. So, yeah, my dad was uh, really proud of that and the fact that I later became involved in politics. That was another thing. <laughs> So how did you how did you end up being back in Portugal then after growing up in Canada? Did did the whole family move back? Well, actually, it was a tragic event because oh. my parents were here uh, on holidays. Um, mm -hmm. They used to come. Um, as I said, my, my mother was a cleaner, but my dad worked in construction. I'm very oh. proud of my parents. Yes, <laughs> and very proud of what they did and how, you know, how much they accomplished. But my dad worked in construction, so you imagine you can imagine that in mm -hmm. Canada, winters are really difficult oh, for a yeah. carpenter to be working outside. So um, they would come to Portugal, and my dad was diagnosed um, with cancer, oh, and because he broke a leg and it was bone cancer, and it, he quickly had to have his leg amputated. So oh, no. you know, I just I had to leave everything and come running. Um, you know, to be here. And, um, and it wasn't even, a, I didn't have a culture shock because of. Um, so they, they'd moved back then to Portugal when you were. So they were on holidays. And, oh, they were on holiday. The okay, yeah, right. Because of the cancer. Mm. And it was so quick. Um, there was no time to go back to Canada to seek medical help. Right. My dad had his leg amputated here. And I just left everything in Canada um, to be here with my family. Mm -hmm. Then eventually I met a guy, fell in love, <laughs> and ended up As it studying. I don't know why he should have <laughs> he should have <laughs> followed me back to Canada. But anyway, I decided because I was saying uh, there was not there wasn't a culture shock for me. Right. Um because of my Portuguese roots and because I, I spoke Portuguese fluently. And um, so, yeah, it was easy to adapt. And I ended up staying here. <laughs> and, yeah, it's great. Wonderful. And then, so you you started teaching when you were in Portugal then? Uh, well, actually, I started um, uh, at the time being bilingual, and being fluent in English was um, such an asset because mm. nobody spoke English back then. Nobody, you know, you couldn't find bilingual people. So in the corporate world, you know, in business, it was, um, I got a job in a, in a multinational textile company. It was German. Mm. Um <laughs> I went from education, a degree in education, to working with German, in a German company, um, and yes, traveling and uh, you know doing all the work in English. So that was fascinating. I got a lot of experience from that. That then uh, made its way into my teaching. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. And then 
I decided, no, yeah, you know, I decided to be a teacher and that's what I'm going to do. So I went into public education. I was teaching in public schools, mm -hmm. which is something I did for six years. Primary or secondary or? Um, middle school middle and school. secondary. Yeah. Um, even though I'm trained as a primary school teacher, I don't know how I ended up with those age groups and later adults. <laughs> um, you never know what's going to happen in the future. Of course. And um, you were working as an English teacher then in middle school, were you? Yeah. So I was working as a teacher um, in the public sector, which was quite an experience. Um but it was also difficult because um, I, it meant there was no stability at the time. So mm -hmm. it meant moving around a lot. Uh, I never got to connect with the school completely because right. oh, and with the students, because every year I'd be going to a new school. And that was really difficult for me because um, some people don't know that I'm extremely shy. <laughs> <laughs> so making new friends and, you know, uh, creating your, your, you know, your, your network there. Uh, it was difficult for me because I was meeting new colleagues, working with new people um, every year, working in a different context. Um, so, yeah, I found that uh, I didn't want to do that. And working with 30 students, I found that quite challenging. And so it took the easy road. You moved, and it, you moved into private language education. Is that right? which um, I still feel extremely guilty for having done that. And well, you shouldn't think, feel guilty. I think I, think I regret. Um, that's one of my regrets um, because I think I could have done more in public education. Um, I would have made a greater contribution to society. And so that's a little bit of guilt that I carry around with me. Uh, <laughs> I try I... to make up for it with other areas I, I'm yeah. involved in. I don't think you should be guilty. I think uh, I'm sure you've, you working um, as a teacher where you worked was um, beneficial to hundreds and hundreds of students, I'm sure. But it's different, you know, um, <clears throat> it's a very privileged situation mm, yeah. working you know going from working with 30 students from low-income families with very troubled backgrounds to going to a context where I'm working with 15 students um you know with uh, a different background so yeah it was a big big change um of course. So I feel very privileged um uh, in that sense, you know, and it enabled me to do things that I would never have been able to do in public education. Of course, of course. So what about your, if I were to ask you about your accomplishments as a teacher, what do you think your major <laughs> accomplishments are? Have been? Sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> I think what are you most happy talk, about? I think it's easier to talk about fail failures <laughs> than uh, accomplishments. But then when you think about accomplishments, they come from failures, don't they? Yeah. Um, so um, I think my greatest accomplishment is my connection with students. Mm -hmm. um, it has nothing to do with really um, English teaching. It has to do with um, building connections with my students, 
um, community building in the classroom. I mean, some people say, I don't care if my students like me. I want my students to like me. Um, um, before I go into a, a new class, I look at the register, I look at the list, and I go into this mindset of, I like them already. I don't know them, but I like them already. But this, sorry, it goes back to a failure. Um, oh, really? I don't know if I can talk about that. Yeah, please do. Um, my first year teaching, and this was public school, I don't know why they did it, but they they threw rookies into the deep end. Right. So... <laughs> Um, there was no mentoring. Um, there was no help. You know, you got to learn it on your own. You have to go through difficulties. That's how we learn. So um, I had a very, very, very difficult class of fifth graders. I had 26 mm -hmm. boys and one girl. Wow. <laughs> and these boys were not the age you would expect um, in the fifth mm. grade. They were teenagers, most of oh, them, really? simply because... Um, they were repeating, were they? Um, yeah, the system didn't work for them. And okay. um, they came from difficult backgrounds, you know, and uh, they were a challenge. And, you know, when you're beginning, uh, the most, the, the greatest difficulty is not actually teaching English mm. or the, the content, it's classroom management. Of course, um, of course. And if you don't have somebody helping you, um, my God, it is so difficult. So I was thrown into this class and I was terrified of them, some of them. And I looked too young. Um, right. I even started dressing differently. In, in, to, look, to look older. To look older and really more mature and authority. <laughs> it didn't work. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> they can sniff the fear. Um, and it was yeah. very difficult. So um, I remember. I can, I can empathize with that. I, When I was living and working as a teacher in Barcelona, at one point I worked in a school of tourism and catering. And I did morning classes with groups of 40 catering oh students who didn't want yeah. to be there the problem is they don't want to be there and, and how and do you reach these students they, you know? well they spent it, it's exactly what you were saying is like the, the biggest challenge is just getting them to concentrate and just getting them to stop hitting each other and shouting yeah. at each other was was the biggest challenge so and beating each other up in yes the exactly <laughs> but it, um, in, it yeah. was my it was quite interesting is that there was a level of discipline in the catering college uh, uh, that they were able to instill in them because they had them every day all day and they were training a lot of them to be waiters and chefs right that so, so i it, it's like a two-year it was a two-year course so by the end of by the start of the second year they were pretty much more receptive but at the beginning, it was just like completely yeah. chaos. I don't know if that was and the case know, with your students. But. Yeah. And you know how that feels as a teacher, you know, um, yeah. how do I get to these students? I was so scared of them, Grant. You, uh, <laughs> no. I was terrified. I'm embarrassed to tell this story. No, they, they I mean, threw, it's interesting. Uh, threw, I think it's important to reflect upon these things and for other teachers to hear it, I think. 
they actually threw things at me. So whenever I was writing on the board, you know, paper airplanes, uh, it, was just, it was so terrifying. At least it was knew. only paper airplanes. I yeah, mean. I don't know if there were been worse. Things, I can't remember. This is 30 years ago. But I was terrified of writing on the board because I had my back to them yeah. and I had no idea what was um, happening. So I mastered the skill of writing on the board while looking at the students. I can still <laughs> do that. Yeah. I had to do that in my situation with the catering students as well. So I, I can empathize yeah. with you. It's a completely. skill I've mastered and still <laughs> use today. But I was I was so scared of them that I would never take my coat off like in winter. My handbag would be on the the desk. Um, and the door was always open. So if something happened, I was ready to grab my handbag and just run out the door. <laughs> um, it never happened, but it came close to, to that. Oh, wow. But they were really difficult. And I was trying to teach English. And I just got to the point where it's, I can't teach. You know? There's no point in trying to teach English if they're not interested. Yeah, they're not listening very frustrating. to me. And they're not connected to me at all. Mm -hmm. So it became survival mode. Yeah. And so then, you don't, of, then you don't feel like you're really accomplishing anything by being there with them. No, I studied to be an English teacher, first year teaching. Mm. And this is what I'm dealing with. So I realized I had to connect with the class and just, you know, my ambitions of teaching English were put aside completely, <laughs> um, which is quite scary as well so I tried I don't know if I did the right thing I mean again you go into survival mode mm -hmm, of course and and I tried to win over the leader of the pack um which with hard work I did oh great um so he um helped me with classroom management not always yeah, not always in the best way. Okay. <laughs> so good. it had. I remember having a hard time with them, and then or with one kid in particular, and he said, "You know, outside, <laughs> just wait until we go get outside. I'm going to beat you up." And I'm like, "No, please, no. I, I'm okay. I'm okay." <laughs> um, so going back to my accomplishment, as we were yeah. talking, it came from a failure. And I realized the importance of building connections with students. I yeah. realized that you cannot teach if you don't have, uh, you don't, if you don't create an environment where students feel part of something, mm -hmm. this community, you cannot teach if you don't create a, a, a safe environment. Of course. You cannot teach if the they don't see you as a person, you know, yeah. if they're going to look at you as an authority figure, it's not going to work. I think, I don't know about you, but I think also teaching a language is different to teaching a subject in that case, mm -hmm. that you probably need to have a more, a greater connection with the students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's all about yeah. communication and you need to be interested in the students. You need to, provoke an interest Even like personalize yeah. uh, when you're personalizing activities uh, yeah. you know that's a big part of what we do so that that 
making them feel that they're safe enough to take risks and yeah. share. And that also comes from the teacher as a model. You know, um, we tend to leave our private life outside. Um, and I learned to bring myself into the classroom, sharing, you know, my challenges, sharing my problems, sharing my fears, um, showing did it, them. Did it help that you spoke Portuguese as well, that you, you were a good model as a language learner yourself? Yeah. Showing them that I understood um, what they were saying. And sometimes they, they communicated with me in Portuguese. And that was okay. They had things to tell me, but they didn't have the language to mm -hmm. do it. And it was very important for me to um, see them as people, as human beings, you know. And if I'm, if there's that language barrier, I mean, obviously, I was fortunate enough to have the, the language to understand mm -hmm. them. But if there's that language barrier, quite often it's difficult to connect because they're not they don't have that language um to share things with you to share their yeah. interests and passions and so i was quite lucky in that sense that i was not afraid to bring in the portuguese at certain we had portuguese moments in class you know where they think, could talk i think they needed they're necessary um, yeah, to make that so, connection and and just to save time as well where... yeah it could be at the beginning we could have like a coffee break um, or at the end, you know, them feelings, you know, that they could come to me and just talk about things, talk about life. Um, so that was, that's talking about going from a failure to an accomplishment and why I, I don't think we should be so hard on ourselves no. when we feel we're a failure. I think we should take that on as a challenge and, you know, be creative and find ways to it's not always easy. <laughs> but then I had a, an, another experience. As I said, mm -hmm. I worked with very, uh, I worked in state schools with um, students with uh, a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. And I had another class the second year um, that were boys from an institution. Right. With stories that were, uh, and I was familiar with their stories mm -hmm. because I had to be informed to be careful with the things I did in class and the topics, you know, fam family was not a topic I could work on in class, no, you know, no. um, and their stories are just, they were devastating. Mm -hmm. I had a student who came from an abusive family, mm -hmm. violence, alcohol, and he would still run away from the institution mm -hmm. to go home even though there was that violence waiting for him i'm and guessing it, it was because there wasn't wasn't anywhere else he could go yeah it was just but it was baffling trying to understand how mm. do you go how as a child do you run away and go back to the abuse and and yeah, i i had another child who was abandoned by his parents in a forest at two oh, years no. old, at two years old. And he was, you know, fortunate enough to be found on the side of the road mm. by somebody. Um, these are heartbreaking stories, you mm. know. 
Um, and I still get very emotional um, when I think back to that class. Again, what they needed was not just English. Of course you know? not. They needed affection. They needed, yeah. again, a community. They needed well, to feel loved. Yeah, um, they, that kind of environment. I think the school is very important in providing kind of alternative to... It's their family. Um, it becomes a family. Yeah, um, yeah. the importance of, of, of school and friends and and other adults that are um, more kind of responsible or more loving, basically, um, yeah. is, is ne- Affection necessary. Affection is so important. Um, whether you're working with difficult students and difficult backgrounds or or not, you know, I think affection is always mm-hmm. important in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it wasn't a failure, but I I learned the importance of of building that community in the classroom, mm-hmm. and that's something that I still do today. That is my priority. Um, and often um, my colleagues find it strange that I spend, I'm always behind with the syllabus. Oh, I never complete syllabus. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 um, I always think it's best to build that connection than going into the, I don't know, present perfect or whatever, you know, <laughs> how important is the present perfect when you need to well, build? I'm, students, um, you're, I'm sure the students in your classes get a lot more out of the, uh... Uh, out of it than just language obviously i hope so because we spend a lot of time together and it has to be enjoyable um and um it's also I don't as, like as we said before you know if students are enjoying themselves in a language class definitely then they're going to be more um open to learning uh and, and feeling safe it's that feeling safe, safe. It's and having so important. A, a good feeling about speaking um, the language, which will help them in the future have a, you know, the opposite. If if they just go into a language class and they just learn rules and have a practice of a language, it's not that they have any potential, um, any kind of positive uh, relationship with the language. Yeah, just uh, sorry, I just remembered an anecdote. Um, that first oh. class I was telling you about, yeah. which I, I felt like a failure as an English teacher. I did mm. not teach them a single thing in English. <laughs> I, I went, it was surviving the whole year. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, but fast forward 10, 12 years later, I was teaching at the university and it was a course education course and it was the first day it was introductions right and this one student said you don't remember me do you I'm like no because he was a young adult you know um Mm -hmm. I'm like no he said uh you were my first English teacher oh wow and I said oh where what school and he said the name of the school. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> please don't be from that class where you saw what a teacher shouldn't be. <clears throat> and I asked him, was it the class with so-and-so, so-and-so? And he said, yeah, it was that class. And I fell in love with teaching and English. And that's why I want to become a teacher. And that just blew my mind, do you know? Wow. 
you say uh, that's so so nice to hear that you've had that kind of effect on someone. Maybe he was lying. Maybe he wasn't telling the truth. But it's just <laughs> no, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that um, it was true. I just, it just, it was amazing. And mm. again, as I was saying, failures become accomplishments. Yeah. Um, I've only had that experience once in my life as a teacher. I, at the end of a year teaching a group of teenagers, at the end of that course, two of them came up to me and said, we've decided we want to become English teachers. Aww. And I think it's because we, we really enjoyed your class and we've learned a lot. And I was like really touched. And it's um, because you, you inspire them, isn't it? And then yeah. they learn to love whatever you're teaching it's and, such a wonderful feeling. And one of them looked me up when when she became a a, a trainee teacher. She looked me up and sent me a oh message saying, "Let I be. I've started learning. I've started training to be a, an English teacher, and this is because of you, which is really touching." That is the best thing that can yeah. happen, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to have those successes as a teacher because you can you know these little wins. These uh, you know you really. It's difficult otherwise to understand how you, what you've been able to accomplish. I think with with a and lot of not, students, and it's not the English. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've provided a kind of role model. It's not the present perfect. Sorry, no. I keep going on because I hate <laughs> teaching the present perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So Anna, what about? I think you moved from being a teacher to. Um, doing some teacher training is that right yeah was well, that a natural I, move into it just that happened. area mm -hmm. sorry everything in my life just happens well, <laughs> I just let it happen most uh, of our lives we, we react to things uh to what what is thrown in front of us honey yeah my my sorry I keep going back to my dad he was such a big mm -hmm. influence in my life and he always mm -hmm. taught me never say no no matter how scared you are just go for it give it a try doesn't mm -hmm. work uh, move on so um actually I started um uh taking part in conferences and giving workshops and and showcasing um my work um and uh, you know it was always I've always done very very practical workshops I don't like giving talks yeah. um so basically um People started seeing me, you know, and attending mm -hmm. my sessions. And that's how my name came out. You know, I don't like, I don't like saying that, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> People start yeah. um, getting a feel of you. And um, well, if someone's been to a workshop, they'll, they'll tell their colleagues uh, that, you know, they recommend it and then other people will come to your workshops and that's how it grows. You know, yeah. Obviously. And um, and then getting involved in our local, in our Portuguese um, association for English teachers, mm -hmm. you know, that, that was a big deal for me um, because of the work they do. And yeah, yeah that's a big part. And so also uh, I became uh, more, um, my name was more out there. <laughs> and and so people started coming to me and I used to think, my mm. God, why me you know um so yeah and I just didn't say no so I was teaching and and doing stuff and going to schools and uh, working with teachers working with students and I, I really enjoyed 
um, working with local teachers and mm-hmm. and helping them, helping them set up projects and training them. And I got involved, uh, like with one school in a very, very poor, difficult area, but I mm-hmm. helped the, the teacher publish a book with students' poems Wonderful. and text. And being part of that was like, do you remember I was talking about the guilt? Yes. <laughs> it was so those it's... little things that yeah. kind of, I thought, oh, you know, I am, you know, giving back yeah, uh, a little bit and helping these teachers. So mm-hmm. uh, that's how it helped me overcome my guilt, even though it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and And then... From teacher training, you you moved into writing materials and course books. Was that again yeah. as a result of your work in teacher training? Were you approached, or did no? You... It was yeah. It was it's a result of taking part in car- conferences and mm. and so your I name was 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 there. And... I didn't know that there were editors and people in publishing that were talent the... spotters, Anna. Talent uh, yeah, spotters. Scouts. I had no idea. <laughs> They go to conferences and they look for people like you who they think. uh, It's quite scary. uh... It's quite scary. (laughs) (laughs) So do you remember remember... the first time you were approached by a publisher or an editor? Yeah, it was um, seven years ago. I don't know. I lose track of time. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And somebody, yeah, my editor, who later became my editor, um, approached me at the end and told me how much she enjoyed the session. And it was kind of a plenary um I was so scared oh my god there I was on this stage humongous auditorium um I got a stage fright before going on and I anxiety I still do but I learned going back to Bruce Springsteen I learned that he suffers from anxiety before yes going on stage do you remember he talked he talks about his anxiety and I thought well if Bruce can do it then maybe I can do it (laughs) And um, anyway, sorry, I tend to deviate. No, 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 it's all good. That editor came up to me at the end, you know, gave me his card and told me how much he enjoyed uh, the session. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, thank you. (laughs) I don't know about you know, I never got in touch. Um, Then I can't remember how long later I got a call, uh, an invitation Mm -hmm. to work on a course book for fifth grade. He had been to my session, and because the my co-author, who was the, the leader of the project, had also been to my sessions, oh, great. so they were aware of my and um and like I said, my workshops are very practical, and mm-hmm. their materials designed that I design, um and that I you know implement in my classroom, so I have all that feedback. Um, and I had an invitation, and I was teaching full time. I actually I was uh, assistant director of studies at International House, and you know, it's it's a time consuming job. And then they, but my dad, I could hear my dad saying, "Don't say no, don't say no, <laughs> give it a chance." Um, and it was really difficult because course book writing is not easy. You think you know how to do it, you think. But um, I mean, I was lucky. I was so lucky. And a shout out here to Claudia Abreu, who was uh, my co-author and leader. Mm-hmm. She taught me. She believed in me. Um, 
you know, she knew what I was good at. She could see what I was good at and got me involved in that. Um, she um, really got me into the creative side of, of writing, which meant um, like course books here in Portugal come with an extensive reader and a reader. And often they would just use adapt versions of classics, right? But uh, she had this ambition of um, books written by us, um, originals. Mm -hmm. So I wrote um, readers. And, Wonderful. And that was such a creative uh, writing for children, writing, mm. you know, um, and also writing um, uh the not comprehension but the exercises to go with the book and i absolutely hate comprehension activities i think it kills uh, <laughs> a book i think it absolutely kills a book you know you should be reading for enjoyment so um that was a challenge you know finding activities like placing yourself in the book as a character writing a letter to a character um, seeing things from different perspectives of the characters. It was such a creative process. Um, I had to write an end of your play, the play in all the language from, um, so th this just, uh, just going back a little bit, this is how um, my passions, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. came, came back, you know, um, theater, um music in the classroom so all of that came into so i i managed to become <laughs> linked to theater a rock Wonderful. star in the classroom as well there we <laughs> so, go. in a way no not a rock star but you know what i mean getting there <laughs> um, <Approaching>. getting there <laughs> yeah. um so yeah, Anna, i'm gonna um just because i know um you you you've recently had a big move because you've moved to become a freelance yeah. postbook writer and editor. And I'd love well, to... only, only I'm still working until the end of the month. So I've got a okay, couple of so weeks. That you're... So <laughs> it's quite quite a move, isn't it, to, to move from... Oh, it's so scary. It's terrifying, Graham. Into freelance. I, mean, I would, uh, would love to hear how I can't imagine you... a more difficult decision. Yeah. Um... So how, how did you kind of make that decision? Uh, was um, it a difficult, a very difficult one to make then? It was a process. It was mm -hmm. a process. Um, I've been working with International House for 25 years. And actually, mm -hmm. when I stop in, at the end of June, marks exactly 25 years, a quarter of a century. Wow. Um, yeah. It's a long time. It's a long time. It makes me feel old. <laughs> but it's a <laughs> long time. And it's a long time. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. long time. Um, you know, I love my school. I love my students. You know, I have such great friends there, but it is a long time. And um, the tragic time is event. Right. Well, I had a tragic event in my life, mm. um, which I'm not going to go into, but it oh, led to a, a serious depression. Right um breakdown because that happens to teachers you know of course <laughs> mental of course. health and it's something that we do not talk about enough is mental health that's true um 
and so much more has to be done to support teachers with their mental mm. health. There's a lot of strain on teachers, I think, for a lot yeah. of in particular. Like we're going through a hard time. Um, again, I'm privileged. I'll, I'll, you know, I do not take that for granted in my context. But teachers here in Portugal, in the public sector, I mean, this has been a year of strikes. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a very, very hard year of just demanding respect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just it, we're not even talking about money or, you know, um, it's demanding um, respect for the yeah. profession. Um, but sorry, going back to what I was saying, I, um, I went through a severe depression. Mm -hmm. I had to take sick leave. Mm -hmm. um, I went through therapy. And then I decided, well, it's time to go back. And, sorry, and this was all during the pandemic, so that didn't right. help as well. The of pandemic course, didn't help mm -hmm. at all. I mean, a lot of people lived really tragic situations mm -hmm. where they weren't able to be with their loved ones um, yeah. in hospital and all of that. Anyway, um, so uh, I decided to go back into teaching, but I didn't know if I was ready full-time mm -hmm. because I lost my self-confidence. Right. I lost everything that I built over the years, you know, mm -hmm. it was like going back to scratch. So I, I thought I'd have to give this an opportunity. So I went back part-time right. only as a teacher. So I um, stopped being a DOS. I thought I'm just going to go back to the classroom and see if I can still do it. But meantime, I'm, I'm writing course books um, okay. at the same time. And also, I have to say that the pandemic made it easier um, in the sense of webinars, you know, so I was taking mm. part in a lot of teacher training and workshops during the pandemic, um, yeah. which is the good side of it. And so I did part time this year. It was good to be in the classroom. But then I just started getting offers to do more stuff in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, you know, I couldn't, no, I don't say no, <laughs> bring right. it on, bring it on. And it started piling up. And then I had to make that decision. Do I stay in teaching? I can't do both things at the same time. Yeah. And I thought well, it's 25 years with the school. Um, maybe it's time for change. Maybe it's time to bring in younger teachers because I, I believe in young teachers and mm. um give you know giving them opportunities as well um so yeah I thought um I'm gonna go into the unknown and see what it brings me and and then all this work just like I said you know things just happen I don't look for for it and well that's that's wonderful that you're able to have that work and and that comfort that um ability to taking, work as a and, freelance yeah and taking risks even when you're teaching mm -hmm. yeah um take those risks you know don't stick to the script you know um right. try new things bring your passions and um, so, um so yeah the i saw that you you specializing in writing materials or course books for Mozambique, Angola, and Cabo Verde. I was wondering why those countries, or was that just how it developed? And they all throw it at me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you want to do, do, you want to do it? And I'm like, it, it sounds like a, 
um, fascinating. Uh, oh, I'm so, and again, that's one of the reasons I had to leave teaching because it involves so much research. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to explain. It's so different um, from writing for the Portuguese market. I know right. Portuguese teachers, mm -hmm. you know, I was a Portuguese teacher in the state school system. I trained teachers in. What kind of um, things do you need to really keep in mind for that type of uh, writing materials or course books for that market? I mean, they're very different markets. Um, mm. We can't think of the African market because each country no, is course, different, right. you know, yeah. and you have to look at the reality and the culture of each country. And yeah. we have these assumptions, you know, um, we all do. And, you know, I speak for myself. I mm -hmm. had assumptions. I just thought yeah. they were all the same and they're not. Yeah. Um, so with Cabo Verde, uh, I think that's the first project I worked on. Mm -hmm. um, I was invited to do editing with um, uh, a book. And the interesting thing is that teachers did not have course books in Cabo Verde. Oh, it's wow. the first time. So this is like the now, first course book for English, is it? Or Yeah, I I don't know if it was the first course book in one years. Of the first. Yeah. Um, but Graham, can you think what it's like to work without a course book? I mean, if I could, I would work without a course book, which is kind of like <laughs> irony i mean i'm into dogma and all of that i would get rid of the course book yeah. but if you think of teachers not having access to course books and not having access to resources mm. you know people living in places where they don't have access to internet mm -hmm. i mean it, i was just in awe thinking how do these teachers work Again, making me realize how privileged I am and mm -hmm. how little I know about other contexts, you know. And I started going to more um, webinars that involve teachers from these countries, you know, countries yeah. in Africa, just to see what they're And I am, I am in awe. My accomplishments are tiny compared to what these teachers do in, in classroom. So basically... I had to do a lot of research and a syllabus, um, different syllabus. And mm -hmm. the common thing about these three countries I'm working with, although they're different countries, but the common thing is um, they're uh, focused inwards, you know, mm -hmm. unlike, I don't know if that makes sense, like unlike mainstream books that kind of uh, cater to a global market it's less of an international aspect yeah that, it's just focused it. on the culture of the country of the country interesting yeah which you know i have mixed feelings and i'm mm -hmm. trying i'm still trying to figure it out like are you preparing students for the world mm -hmm. are you preparing the world for your country um mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Um, yeah. There must be a logic there that I'm still trying to. So it just mean I had to, I meant I had to learn, and I, and that's what I love about it. I've become a learner. I've become a student once again. You know, Wonderful. I have to research weather, geography, um, biology, food, agriculture, um, fishing. Um, I never pictured myself. Um, becoming a student in my... So do you think, Anna, do you think the 
the kind of main purpose of this type of English course then is to prepare the students of, of those countries for people who are visiting from abroad who are going to be communicating with them in English or is there another reason? I don't know. Maybe it's even for uh, business purposes. Or, uh, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of uh, international um, partnerships or work, commercial. I don't know. I have, because I don't really know. Or maybe. What, what or, you said about it being sort of inwardly focused, it sounds like it's more people visiting them rather than people of the country going out of their country for international business reasons. Or, or... I have this other theory. Um, I have this other theory is that it's lack of representation. Mm -hmm. Okay. In, 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 in the other course books. Uh, because like with Mozambique, a lot of schools work with mainstream Cambridge. I probably shouldn't be saying <laughs> this, but they don't, there's no representation. They don't yeah. see themselves. Think about in, these in course, the course books. books yeah. Think about been... these course there's been a lot of of um, discussion, I think, in recent years over um, course books that are written for international markets tend to be kind of very generic and they're generic. Um, they don't represent the reality mm. of. Um, probably shouldn't be saying this, but I've got a big mouth. <laughs> mm. um, these course books, they just stick things in. They tool. Do you know what I mean? To be inclusive and diverse, yeah. but I, well, I don't think, really know. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think they're responding to needs and trends. Um, I'd like to think that it's more than just sort of box ticking, and that they are, or maybe it's just starting and they're taking. But these books do not cater to, they don't represent Mozambican people. And yeah. I think, I think that's who probably they are. Be, they're, they're, <clears throat> that's probably because they have to cater for all countries or, you know, or certainly oh, yeah, a lot absolutely. of course books um, have to sort of be, you have to be wary about what, what, what you say or what you represent in them for yeah. fear of upsetting mm -hmm putting something in about um, one culture might upset another, et cetera. We all know the, the, that famous acronym. I can't remember what it is now, but the one that, you know, avoid pork-isms. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> et cetera. But you know what? Something I discovered that, that fascinated me. Go to Shutterstock or yeah. any of these stock images and try yeah. to find pictures yeah um try you type in a topic yeah you put african yeah and try to find the right pictures yeah well i think i think you're absolutely right i think there's a lot of bias there um, is i think with it's something that everybody is just becoming more aware of and as we move it's the hot topic at the moment with for example, AI, artificial intelligence, yeah, yeah, image generation, yeah. is yeah. that you I'm find fascinated. it. You I'm find fascinated. it. There's someone I saw recently who was actually trying to, as a as an experiment, they tried to get a 
group of I think the prompt that he put in was like a group of people from in a particular country taking a selfie. Wow. And it showed very clearly when you looked at the variance between these pictures, what the bias of the AI uh, is. But the bias of the AI, because it's trained on uh, images tagged with... Yeah. by people yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the internet yeah. comes from so, our own bias basically bias so. yeah <clears throat> i have like that was one that's one of my greatest challenges right now is finding images mm-hmm. if i type in african i get stereotypes yeah what about yeah. if you type in the do you, do you have that level of um the potential of putting in the country names would that get uh, you Biased, it's it's stereotypes as well, and very, very, very. You get the streets, poverty. You get, you know, yeah. that's what you get. Yeah. Um, so not positive so, representations, basically. No, absolutely not. So, what do I have to do to get pictures? Um, stock Commission images? them. I, well, <laughs> budgets. Well, you can budget is get the problem. publisher to send you there to take pictures. That's what no, you should I, do. <laughs> I end up getting pictures, but I have to type in African American. Okay, African American. Interesting. Yeah, of course. That's when I, even though there are these beautiful pictures that don't represent yeah. reality, it's quite but- related to what I was saying before. Um, I'm, I don't know. Again the idea of using AI is starting to become of interest mm. to yes. publishers for uh, this reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I was at a meeting uh, earlier this week in a uh, international NGO organization, a work working group I belong to uh, on technology. And we were talking about AI and there's a big sort of quandary at the moment because of the lack of images that they have access to that actually represent what they want to represent Mm -hmm. and the potential of using AI to generate those images, but the idea of, well, but they're not real images. So they're not actually the reality. It's someone else. The reality, exactly. You know, but even, you know, even going to photo um, libraries, you've seen that they don't provide the reality, even though they're kind of real photos either. So, it's kind yeah. of a difficult thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's very easy to get um, pictures of like farming. I type in farming, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what color skin are the the farmers? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, are they not? I'm I'm just being struck by the, this idea. Are they not sort of? You'd think this kind of gap would be there'd be some organization or individuals that would have tried to sort of bridge the gap and try to build a, an alternative photo library. Well, I exist? think that's a great idea because I'm, right now I'm so angry. I, can imagine, I'm so, yeah. I mean, I, again, these are th- things we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> yeah. again, the importance of representation, but when you can't find images, for example, for a course yeah. book that represent a certain country, yeah. um, you know, um, it's wrong. Um, it's really wrong. Um, so something has to be done. I don't know how. But Do they, I'm just. I'm just thinking that if the publishers have local representation in those countries, then perhaps an easy way would actually 
for them to be to commission photos. Yeah, I don't know. It might be more Again, expensive. Uh, the problem it would is be more expensive. Like the uh, budgets are limited. I'm working with a book um, for one of those countries, right. and but it could be something the you greatest might suggest. The greatest challenge. Uh, just mm -hmm. get. Just listen to this. They only get the student book. Now they have to work on all the skills: the reading, the writing, the listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What happens with listening? And there's no teacher's book. They get right. no teacher's book. They get no answer key, the teachers, and no audio. Mm. But they have to work listening skills. So the texts have to be in the course book. The instructions have to be in the course book because that's what teachers get. Mm -hmm. So what authors, I'm editing this, the, these books, and what authors do is they have the text there and they say, listen to your teacher, mm -hmm. read the text. So here's something I know you said the the one of the problems is lack of internet, but if any if there is any potential of access to internet, the taking the texts and creating audios through text to speech is now become really uh, interesting for individual teachers. You could do that. And it depends on the, where they live. This is public right. education. Of course, of course. And I mean, that can come in when I do webinars with these yeah. teachers. I can give them other ideas, but I won't have access. Of course so not. But that, if, that... if that does exist, I, I can send you a link to a um, a text-to-speech that I wish, I wish I found yeah. out at a conference that actually has a lot of representation in different countries around the world. So there are That'd accents yeah. speaking English um, in lots of different countries. I don't know whether they have accents for Mozambique, Angola, Cabo Verde, but mm -hmm. it was definitely more inclusive than some of the other sites that I've seen. Mm. But my greatest challenge right now is how to develop listening skills, which mm. is part of the, the syllabus. Yeah. When the teachers are working with exactly the same course book, uh, they're working with a student book. That's all right. they have. Of course. So for, for example, one suggestion I made to the writer was, and all the instructions, even for the teacher, they have mm -hmm. to be in the course book. So the teacher has right. to follow that instruction. So I suggested, well, close your books now <laughs> and listen to your teacher read a text, mm -hmm. write down all the numbers you hear, right. all the farming tools you hear. Now, open the book, read the text, and check your answers. I mean, this is how we try to work around, and that's where I come in, trying to work around um, these limitations, yeah. you know. And that's where the creative side comes into, also into um, course of course. So Anna, I, I hate to do this, but um, time is pressing. This, this, the time is just gone talking to you. I'm sure we could end up talking for hours, and uh, it would and be I fascinating. And I talk too much. As I no, told no, no, no. <laughs> it's been fascinating. This is what, as I said before, before we started recording this, um, it's um, it's one of the reasons why I do this. It's like it gives me an opportunity to really talk to someone about their work in detail and their experience in the classroom and outside of it. And it's been a great pleasure. 
uh, talking to you about all of this. It's fascinating as well, especially this, the latest development of the course books for um, for those countries that you're you're writing for has been is is really interesting. So I I hope that we can catch up again sometime in the future and yeah definitely I can and um, hear more about this uh, yeah and just, and learning from each other and finding course. ways to overcome certain challenges you know of course um, just just to end on I'm going to um, ask you if you you know you, you're a, you're a teacher who moved into teacher training who moved into course book writing and materials writing, what advice would you give other teachers if they wanted to follow that path and be able to, yeah. to become a freelance materials writer at the end of the day or after some time? Well, I could only give the advice, you know, of my own experience based on of my course. own experience is get out there, go to conferences, give workshops, showcase your materials, show people what you can do. Right. You never know when a publisher is there sitting in the audience. Um, but it's, I don't like bringing business jargon into education. I'm mm -hmm. completely against mm -hmm. that. But it is kind of building a brand, you know. Um, right. Becoming known and becoming, becoming known, known for... If you want to write, if you want to be a materials writer, then becoming known for someone who writes materials. Yeah. And um, don't be afraid. You're constantly asking your students to take risks. Mm. Do it. Do yeah. it yourself. Don't say no. Get yourself yeah. into these workshops. Uh, you know, offer. Like, uh, I remember offering to do teacher training in schools. I offered um, without being invited. Get your... Get out there, show people what you're capable of doing. And it's for me, it's the first step. Um, and enjoy it. Enjoy sharing. Teaching is all about sharing. It's all about learning. And it's also about bringing your passions into the classroom. You might know about so many topics. Bring them into the classroom. Yeah. Don't be afraid and always remember, this is more with teaching, always remember you're working with humans. You're not working with students. Yeah. And you not, yourself are a not, human. And you know, teaching, bring that vulnerability into the classroom as well. You're not teaching a course book. You're teaching people. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I write the course books. <laughs> yeah, but you can use a course you know, book in a different way. Uh, it's just it's just a tool, grammar. Like delivering a gram material. It is just a tool. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Anna, thank you very, very much for for your time. It's been great to to, to finally talk to you about all of this, and uh, I wish you all the best of success. Not that you you needed uh, best of luck, sorry, not that you needed for your next the next change in your career. I do, I do need it. <laughs> but, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I had so much fun talking to you. It's been a pleasure. Um, Great. And thank, thank you for thank the you. invitation. It was wonderful. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. 
Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Welcome back. I enjoyed talking to Anna about uh, Korea and especially how uh, it's developed. I think it's always interesting to hear about how people become teachers, especially if they become teachers in another country, as is the case with uh, with Anna. So I sometimes myself do a double take and wonder how I came to be in Mexico. And I think if I can look at that. I think it's happened in the same way that Anna described these opportunities pop up in front of you and even though you may be trying to head off in one way uh, you find yourself surfing a wave in a different direction so I think it's certainly true for me I always thought I'd become a teacher but my original idea was to start teaching English in Spain before returning to teach in the UK and for that reason I, I decided I wanted to to work as an English teacher for a year in Seville in southern Spain, but there weren't any opportunities to study to be a teacher there. So I ended up going to Barcelona. And once there, I thought, why wouldn't I want to stay in Barcelona? And uh, after training to be a teacher, I was then offered a job outside the city uh, in another place, even though I knew I wanted to spend at least a year living in Barcelona itself. So I then I was invited to join, the year after that, another school just outside uh, of Tarragona, which I thought was a nice opportunity and interesting. After a year there, I still had a desire to live at least one year in Barcelona, so I moved there and started working, uh, working there. And that's when I fell for someone, I met someone, and then started thinking, why do I want to teach in the UK when I can teach English here? And I realized I didn't particularly want to, so I stayed. 18 years later, then there was an opportunity to head off to Uruguay. And again, I intended to stay for a year, maybe two years there at the most. Five years later, I was still there. Then it was off to Mexico, and this is my fifth year in Mexico here too. So where next? Who knows? I think uh, there are other aspects of my life professionally professional life that have surprised me too but I won't uh, I won't uh, go into that but I definitely understand what Anna was talking about so perhaps that's true for everyone I think it, it probably is okay so it's that time folks we have reached the end of today's Saturday Twilight show many thanks to today's special guest Anna Piresh and to all of you who've joined us live and also to those of you listening back to the recording, especially to those of you who have managed to stick with us until the very end. I consider, I think, you to be part of an exclusive club. Let's call it the Saturday Twilight Club. What are the perks of belonging to this club? Well, let's say you can claim a cup of coffee or tea or other beverage from me if we ever meet in person someday, sometime, somewhere. Just introduce yourself and claim it. And so that's it from me for this week. There are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics, so please listen in live or to the recordings. And I hope you will enjoy me. join me next week again at the same time. 
Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.